I'm all about community over competition. I know at least six trainers in my area in Connecticut and we share clients. We share them. Or if I can't handle a dog, I actually call my friend and he comes in and helps or we split the dog. There's no reason for me to go on and bash a one because they're doing something. Welcome to the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast. I'm Tori Mystic. As a dog mom lifestyle expert, blogger, and business owner, I love talking to other women in the pet industry and sharing their advice with you every week. Sit, stay, and listen to the latest episode. On this episode, I am excited to share a conversation with dog trainer Chelsea Nelson. What we talked about could not be more timely. If you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen a story I shared about an experience at the dog park earlier this week. Although I don't usually go to traditional dog parks, I did this one day. And when I was there, I saw a young couple with their dog and two six-week-old puppies. Now, I don't need to tell you that these puppies were not vaccinated. They weren't really even old enough to be away from their mom. I know this, but this couple clearly did not. Now, I chose not to say anything instead of risking starting some kind of argument with them. But this experience made me realize that so many pet parents, they just don't know any better. Now, what does this have to do with my interview with Chelsea? What we talked about is the importance of being able to have a conversation in the dog space. A canine conversation that isn't an argument and isn't about proving who is right and who is wrong. Instead, we need to focus on how we can help pets in the best way that we know how. And that brings me to an assignment that Chelsea and I have for everyone listening today. I want you to think about something that you don't specialize in, but that you get asked about all the time. Can you think of something? Okay, great. Now, we want you to go find someone who does that thing and reach out to them and say hi. That's it. You don't need to form an official partnership or even do anything together. Just say hi, introduce yourself, and try to get to know them better. If we can do this in the dog community, maybe this spirit of conversation without judgment can spread to all other areas of our society. Pretty amazing concept, right? If this conversation gets you thinking, please share it on Instagram, tagging me at where, wag, repeat, and Chelsea at canine curiosity. I really want to shout out that Chelsea shares new episodes on her Instagram stories pretty much every single week. So personally, I would love it if we could blow up her notifications today. So tag Chelsea at canine curiosity. Now let's listen to this interview. From an early age, Chelsea Nelson knew she wanted to work with dogs. Every dog in her life strengthened her love of animals and provided her the path to start a career involving dogs. After adopting her dog, Ozzy, in 2015, her love for training was born. Since then, she has never stopped learning about dog behavior through attending seminars and webinars to provide the best for her clients. 
With her dog training business, Canine Curiosity, Chelsea specializes in leash reactivity and canine enrichment. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, how are you? I'm so good. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because you're a very active member of Wearwag Repeat in other ways. Um, so I'm excited to have you as a guest on the podcast now. I'm excited to be here. Good, good. Um, well, why don't we why don't we start the way we usually start everything, um, which is kind of what what inspired you to get into the pet industry. Well, honestly, up until the age of 10, I was actually petrified of dogs. Um, I just thought every, everyone was going to bite me pretty much. Um, family friends had dogs, but I was afraid to go near them. And then we finally adopted our first dog when I was 10 years old, and her name was Jasmine. Uh, she was a St. Bernard hound, and we actually had her for 11 years. Um, and then from there, we kind of spewed into having two to three dogs in our household our entire lives. And we still currently, my parents still have two. One's a nine-year-old chow Roddy named Bear. And one is a pit bull husky mix named Bella. Um, both are crazy and psycho, but we love them. Yeah, those sound like pretty intense breed combos. Yes, <laughs> they're, they're an interesting mix. I love them, but they're they're a little crazy. And then I currently have a six-year-old cattle dog mix named Ozzy. And she is the reason I became a trainer because she actually bit my mom twice. And I had to sign up for pet co classes to fix that. And then the bond I had with my dog kind of made me want to share that with other owners. Yeah. And so, um, through training her, uh, you kind of decided to focus on reactivity, um, and how I'm assuming enrichment can kind of help, help dogs who are maybe reactive or, or just kind of help dogs in general. Um, so why did you decide to make that kind of your specialty? So when I moved to Connecticut about three years ago, Ozzy was only used to a half acre backyard. Uh, she never really walked. We didn't really, we tried doggy daycare. She wasn't really a doggy daycare dog. Um, we went for hikes, but not as often. And when we moved to an apartment complex, we had cars, we had people, we had babies, we had dogs of all shapes, sizes, temperaments, and she blew up. Uh, we'd move in. And as soon as she heard a car door slam, she'd freak out. And it sounded like she was going to murder someone to be honest. <laughs> she never did. She's super friendly, but there were just times that I was like, oh, this is so embarrassing. Like I'm a trainer. I've never seen this before. So I've actually gotten her to the point of 99% manageable over the past two, three years. And I try to help other owners who tend to hide from their reactivity or feel embarrassed, but 80% of people struggle with it. It's not just certain people. It's not certain dogs. Most dogs struggle with it, especially with COVID. Yeah. Well, and I feel like I've seen, like, we're going to talk about social media later, but I feel like I see so many more videos and I don't know if people are talking about it more or if the algorithm is just showing it to me more, but I'm seeing so many videos of people who are like, um, you know, making funny videos about what it feels like to walk their reactive dog and how they're just like miserable. Um, but they're making like a lighthearted video about it. Um, so it obviously is a problem for a lot of people. Yeah. I don't think some people don't even realize their dog is reactive. And then they're like, well, my dog just blows up at this one thing. And then as a trainer, I have to be like, okay, but that's one behavior. What is it? Is it dogs? Is it people? Is it kids? Is it bikes? Is it everything? Like Ozzy tends to just go after dogs sometimes that are barking at her. Uh -huh. And then sometimes she's really good and she won't bark at other dogs. So it really just, it's situational, but being able to train your dog to not freak out is less stressful for you and the dog. Well, yeah, because then you can you can do more things, you enjoy more things. Um, if you're like, I just I feel like I always 
I always feel like the leash is like an umbilical cord (laughs) between you and your dog. And if you're like stressed before you even walk out the door, like, I think your dog is just going to be on kind of high alert. Yeah. That's one of the things I actually tell my boyfriend who walks my dog a little bit that if you ever come home and you're stressed, or if I'm ever stressed from training another dog, I don't walk my dog for at least an hour. Cause it's not fair for her. Cause I get frustrated and then she does one wrong thing and then she gets the brunt of it. And people are like, I don't do that to my dog. You do. And it's, yeah. it's no one's fault. I mean, I'm a trainer. I have a reactive dog. People know I'm a trainer in my area and they're still like, well, her dog. I'm like, I know <laughs> it's my dog, but I love her nonetheless. And people forget that they still have to love their dog. Right. Right. So, okay. So you, you were inspired to kind of get into dog training, obviously with your dog, you saw transformation, you're excited to help other people with it. What's the process of becoming a dog trainer or what was your process? So I've actually worked in doggy daycares for the past about 10 years, I'd say. Um, It was a college job and a summer job. So I've been pretty much a pack leader, if you want to call it, watching dogs play of between 30 and 60 dogs at a time uh, since I was 18. So watching those behaviors, I kind of realized I can take it to the next level. So I kind of researched online because I was working a full-time job um, right out of college and I wanted to do more. So I found Animal Behavioral College online. And I did a year and a half studies on there and got certified. Then I got an internship that turned into a job at a training facility where I used to live in Mass. Um, And then I moved to Connecticut and just started working in doggy daycares. Yeah. So do you have some kind of alphabet letters that you put at the end of your name? Uh, Yeah, I think it's ABCDT. Okay. Like way too many. (laughs) (laughs) They couldn't, they couldn't shrink that for some reason. And I'm trying to go for more of them, but obviously it takes time and training dogs can become very time consuming. So. Yeah. And all those future levels, it might require like hundreds of hours of doing something. Yeah. 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 Um, so what do you, what do you find, I guess, um, for the people who are listening, I'm sure even if they're in the pet industry, they have reactive dogs. What do you find to be like the secret to managing your dog. You said that Aussie's like 99% cool with things now. Yeah. And typically as much as I love my boyfriend and I hope he listens to this because he's going to laugh. Uh, majority of that 1% is majority when he walks her. Um, typically when I, when I walk her, because I walk her 99% of the time, uh, she's very focused on me and he's learning what I'm doing. So I tell people there's two things. One, you have to stop caring what other people think about your dog. Cause I even walk with dogs and I can tell the person gets embarrassed. And I said, stop, stop caring about the, like that Karen across the street. Who's judging you with her little yapping dog. Nobody cares. Nobody cares, but you. So like when I'm walking Ozzy, all I care about is Ozzy and I, what are we doing? So I try to make it the most exciting thing ever to come to me, to look at me, to be a part of me, whether that's treats, that's a tug toy, that's a ball. I throw treats. I make her sniff, which is the enrichment part. I try to make her be like, you can look all you want but you can't blow up at dogs. It's not fair. I don't know what you're saying. You can't do that to another dog or a person. Cause that makes them afraid of you. Yeah. Um, I love that kind of just like making it exciting and, and making the attention on you and also not caring about what other people think. Um, you know, I take, there's some off leash trails around me, uh, that I love taking my dogs to. And I know with my dog, Lucy, it is just better if we go to the side and I have her sit and pay attention to me, uh, while the other people go by. And that requires me to be constantly talking to her, you know, reinforcing her behavior, 
And for a long time, I was like, oh, this is so rude. People are walking by and I'm not saying hi to them (laughs) or, you know, (laughs) they say hi to me and I ignore them because I'm talking to Lucy. Uh, And it's just, you know, I've realized over the past couple of years, it's just better. You know, it doesn't matter if one person thinks that you're rude because you didn't say hi. (laughs) It's better if your dog has a better time um, with whatever you're doing. Yeah. And that's a big thing too. I started to stop with Oz and sit, but because she's a cattle dog and she's a high drive working dog, uh, the treats were great and the toys were great. But if I didn't keep her moving, she, I, I could have jumped up and down. I could have screamed bloody murder. She didn't care who was in front of her. She would just be like, what's happening, but what's happening behind you? What's happening behind you? So we learned that walking helps, but we've encountered also dogs that stop when we stopped. And then what do you do? Yeah. Like what happens if you both stop? That happens to me too. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, uh, we have to walk and then we have to have our dog blow up. Or I tell people if they're too far gone, you keep walking. Like you don't need to yell at them. I tell Ozzy, leave it. And we walk. Right. There is no, okay, it's okay. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to reinforce it. Leave it alone and walk. And then when she displacement sniffs or looks at me, I give her a treat and tell her, yes, good job. You came down from the reactivity, but people try to just throw treats in their face constantly and constantly and constantly while they're reacting. It's not helping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I'm also a big fan of just like making a 180. And that's another thing where you have to just accept that people are going to be like, what is that lady doing? <laughs> um, but you know, if sometimes we see a dog and I can see Lucy get, you know, just get, get all worked up. And so we just make a 180 and then maybe we make like three one eighties. I don't know. Um, but just like anything, anything to keep their focus on you, I guess. Yeah. And that's where you have to be the most exciting thing ever. And that's even with puppies. Puppies usually aren't, don't come out of the gate reactive, but if you can make them like everyone's like, but they're so good with you. Yeah. Because I'm an exciting person. I give them treats. I play with them. I talk to them in a high pitched tone. They want to be a part of me. When you talk to them, all you do is yell at them. They're not going to want to be a part of you. They'd rather freak out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Dogs always love the dog trainer the most because they know, they know, um, (laughs) you know, how to, how to be the most fun person in the room. Did you hear the news? I created a quiz to help you find your petpreneur personality type. Answer four quick questions, and not only will you discover what type of petpreneur you are, but you'll also get a curated playlist of the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast designed for exactly where you are in your pet business right now. From an underdog champion to a possum petfluencer or a prosperous petpreneur, each playlist includes 12 episodes from the archives. Plus, after you get your results, you'll receive a few emails from me with special advice to help you reach your pet business dreams. Take the quiz and fetch your results today at wherewagrepeat.com slash playlist quiz. Um, okay, so talking about people judging, let's kind of transition to <laughs> the topic that that you kind of pitched to me to cover today, which I was like, yeah, this sounds great. Um, is, is this just kind of like attitude online of people? And it, it seems to be a huge problem in the dog training social media world. Um, there's a lot of like infighting going on of people just, just criticizing everyone, um, and, and making 
like whole TikTok channels about how they don't like another person's methods. And it just, to me, seems like a huge waste of time and very, very negative. Um, so as a, as a dog trainer, you know, I kind of wanted to get your, your perspective, um, and, and what you think, what you think about all of this, just like fighting about people's different methods. Well, one, I think it's kind of childish because yes, everyone can have, you know, imposter, imposter syndrome, um, no matter what you're in, if you're, you know, a blogger, a trainer, a groomer, whatever it is, I've had those where I'm like, I really want to be like that trainer, or I really want to be like that trainer, but you you can't do that, especially as a small business owner, you kind of have to like, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to stick with it. I honestly don't have time to sit on TikTok and bash another trainer. If that's working for that trainer, that's great for that trainer. And I a hundred percent support them. I'm all about community over competition. I know at least six trainers in my area in Connecticut and we share clients. We share them. Or if I can't handle a dog, I actually call my friend and he comes in and helps or we split the dog. There's no reason for me to go on and bash a one because they're doing something in no way. Do I condone aversive or abusive ways of training a dog? But yes, a prong collar can be used in a correct way. I personally walk my own dog on a slip lead, which is almost like a choke chain. I don't Mm -hmm. choke her on it. I use spatial pressure to get her to do what I need her to do because I don't want to rely on treats. I also use an easy walk harness and a freedom harness. So I I do not use e-collars currently, but I know how they work. So I tell people every dog's different. So who's, who's to say that purely positive versus the aversive training? Who's to say something's wrong? It depends on the dog. Like I can't use a treat if a dog's coming at my face and be like, you got to sit with the treat. You got to sit. He's going to bite my hand off. But if I have a slip lead or something that I can get him back, he's causing his own pain by freaking out. If he just calms down, it'll loosen. People don't realize that. They just see the videos of the dogs, you know, being strangled and think that that's what we're doing as a trainer. And it's not. Yeah. The dog's kind of inflicting it on themselves. That's slip leads. That's what they do. They kind of show the dog what pressure is, pressure on, pressure off is. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of people... Uh, don't, don't have a lot of experience, but they see something like a prong collar and it is a little bit scary looking, um, because it's metal and it's pointy and it's shiny. And, and you imagine, you know, I wouldn't want that on my neck, but I think that there are, I believe there are responsible ways to use a prong collar and an e-collar and a slip lead. And, you know, I think there's people love, a um, like a no pull harness or a gentle lead one that goes over the nose. People love those and they, and they view those as being like so great. But meanwhile, some of those harnesses can restrict their shoulder movement can cause serious injuries. Um, you know, if you just use the easy or the gentle walk, what's it called? The one that goes in the nose, the gentle leader. If you only use a gentle leader, and your dog can't walk without a gentle leader. Like, I feel like there's a point you should get to where you kind of train out of it. It's like a, it's like a training wheels. Um, so I feel like anything can be good or bad <laughs> depending on how you use it. No, that's hundred percent true. I actually, when I was thinking about this, when I pitched it to you, I actually wrote down like my dog, who's like a 45 pound cattle dog. She walks on a slip lead or an easy walk harness, which I know there's always controversy of you walk on a prong, you walk on a choke. I make sure she doesn't pull me. And, and no matter, I tell all my clients, no matter what you're using for a tool, you can teach your dog to loose leash walk on anything, on anything. So I don't really, I'm not that trainer. That's like, nope, you can only use a slip lead. 
that's totally up to you. I don't, I don't really care. I can teach them on anything, but like my dad walks on a slip lead or a harness or a flat collar and she still loose leash walks. Cause I taught her how to loose leash walk. What about, um, like you could even train your dog to loose leash walk with no leash. <laughs> Correct. And she right? does have the time. <laughs> so like I tell people that, and then like, I have, I've trained a Pyrenees that was a hundred plus pounds. She uses a head harness cause she's huge, like a horse. That makes sense for a massive dog. Me putting a head halter on my 45 pound dog really doesn't make sense. Sometimes it helps with reactivity, but not really. But then there's also like, I've used, um, one of my clients, Cooper, who's a lab mix. He, we've had to use him on slip leads and use more pressure on him because he's stranger aggressive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've also used prongs on my friend's uh, German shepherd, Kalis, because she walks better on a prong. Yes. People can judge. Oh, that's a scary, dangerous dog. No, she's actually a sweetheart. She's friendlier than my cattle dog. And she's twice the size, but she heals better and is more controllable for my friend on a prong. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think is like the, like, how can we educate not only pet parents, but, but like, I I guess maybe to kind of step back a little bit, who do you think are the people who are causing all of this, like fighting about techniques? Is it pet parents or is it, um, dog trainers? I think it's more dog trainers. Cause a lot of the clients I talk to are like, yeah, but I saw this trainer said this. And I was like, well, I get that, but every trainer is also different. It's so like, mm-hmm. I've gotten referrals. So like, well, we worked with this one, this one guy and he did it this way. And he came in with a heavy hand. Okay. But that's how he trains. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say he did it wrong. Your dog just didn't appreciate that approach. But like, there are some dogs like my parents, Chow Roddy, who needs a stern hand. He doesn't like treats. He doesn't like toys. So my stepdad has to be like, like bed, get on the bed, low tone. And that's it. He yeah. needs a heavier hand and that's fine. It doesn't mean I'm abusing him. It means enough's enough. I'm going to show you what I need. Whereas some puppies and you know, the cute little, like Ozzy loves treats. She'll do anything for treats. So I don't really need to use, you know, too much pressure on her. Cause she knows I have food. It's all about kind of communicating because I, I, I think about this all the time is that we expect dogs to understand everything that we want, but a lot of people don't spend time figuring out the dog's communication style. You know, we expect them to understand our English words that we speak or our hand signals or whatever, but a lot of people aren't taking the time, you know, to figure out how their dog communicates or or what's the best way to communicate with them. Is it through words or treats or toys or hand signals or like whatever it is? Um, yeah. So, so yeah, go ahead. (laughs) I'm sorry. I was going to say a lot of people also like to use, you know, 30 words when they're training a dog and I'm victim to it. I literally, when I take my dog for a walk, I have full conversations with her. However, when I go to give her a cue, it's not Ozzy, sit, stay down, squirrel, bird, it's stay. And then I walk away. There is no full conversations happening. We forget as humans, dogs don't listen to eight words. They listen usually to the last word. So if I'm telling her when she's freaking out at a dog, leave it, stay, leave it. No, stop it. This is embarrassing. Oh, cut it out. She doesn't hear any of that. She's like, oh, mom's barking too. Let's keep going. Instead of me being like, leave it. And then I'm walking away and she had no choice but to come with me. Right. She's just, she just thinks you're getting wound up. I'm getting wound up. Let's all be crazy together. Exactly. So, so what, what do you think? How, how are we going to solve this kind of like negativity? Is it just, should we just tap, tap on, on Instagram or TikTok and say like, not interested in this type of video when people are just bashing each other? Or is it worthwhile to 
just try and flood the internet with our own positive content or, you know, what, what do you think we should do? Kind of both. I mean, to be honest with you, some of the trainers I follow, if I see them starting to bash, I just unfollow them mm-hmm. because one, I don't, there's no need for a fight. And two, I just think it's unprofessional. Like there's no reason for me to go on TikTok and bash every single trainer because this guy wants to do it this way. This guy doesn't believe in treats. This girl doesn't believe in a harness. She only wants to use an e-collar. Why do I care? Mm-hmm. It, as long as the dog's benefiting from it, I don't care how they do it. That's all I care about. And I tell my clients that if I have to refer them out, I said, it's not because I don't love your dog. It's not because I can't train your dog. I'm not the right trainer. And the tools I use, like some dogs do benefit from e-collar training when they're used correctly. Like aggressive dogs thrive better when they're corrected on an e-collar. I would rather send them a signal of, hey, cut it out. I'm not tolerating it. than be bit and shredded. Yeah, because you can't really serve that dog if you're injured by that dog. Mm -hmm. And then worst case, they're put to sleep because they're returned and they're aggressive. Mm -hmm. Right. When like, when like a lot of trainers that use e-collars have saved thousands of dogs and all people see is the negative. It zaps a dog. Half the time it's tone. It's not even a zap. Half the time it's a tone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's -hmm. not really shocking the dog. We just use that word. People want to use that word to, you know, to stab at someone else. Yeah. And it's not, it's not what the collar does. People need, I wish there was like, almost like talking to, I've been trying to, like I network with a lot of trainers and I tell them like, if you use the e-collar, like there's two, I follow that use e-collars a lot and they wrote books on it and stuff. I'm like, I wish more people could just read the book and educate and be like, they're not just using the e-collar to fix your dog or make it quick and simple. It's just as hard as not using an e-collar. They're just, they like that tool and it works for them. They're all different approaches. And I think it's, you know, some people, even when you're learning, and I know from taking lots of online courses and then creating them myself. Some people like to watch a video. Some people like to listen to the audio only. Some people like to read the transcript. Some people do better if they write down everything word for word and take notes, they retain the information. So it's, I think it's kind of the same thing of like, you know, what's your learning style and like, what's the dog's learning style and, and finding what works for them rather than what works for us. Right. And that's what people tend to forget is they just, a lot of my clients who I love, but a lot of them want a quick fix. They want me to come in and their dog's fixed in one, one session. And that's just, it's not how it works. Like my dog, I tell people, I'm like, when I start training reactivity, I tell them like, no, I don't have to come every week. No, I don't have to do certain things. But if you don't listen to me and you don't follow what I'm telling you to do, I'm telling you, your dog's going to regress. And I don't take it personally anymore. There's like another trainer um, that I follow. And he literally was like, just because a dog fails doesn't mean the trainer failed. Once I leave the dog, it's no longer my problem. Mm-hmm. I did I did what I could to get that dog to succeed. And if the owner chooses to not follow through with what I'm telling them to do, that falls on the owner. It doesn't fall on the trainer. But people just want to blame the trainer because, well, I got that information from you. But you didn't do it. Right. Or when people see something on, on social media and they're like, oh, I tried this and it didn't work for me. So that must mean that this is a stupid technique. (laughs) Exactly. Or they're like, oh, well, I tried to put this e-collar on the dog and they just, I couldn't, I couldn't get them to listen or like, that's because you, you didn't, you didn't do it right. You didn't test the limit of what level the e-collar had to be on. You just went to the highest one and scared the living crap out of the dog. That's why that's like an electric fence. When a dog breaks a fence, they're not going to come back. They just right. get shocked. Some dogs do. Some dogs are resilient, but most dogs won't because they're going to get shocked coming back home. 
the same well, concept. So people are fine with shock collars, but they're not fine. Like with a electric fence shock collar, which are shock collars, but an e-collar they're not okay with using. That's a really good observation because you drive around any neighborhood and you're going to see invisible fence signs everywhere. And then people are really against e-collars. Yeah. Where I've actually seen more success in an e-collar than I have with an electric fence. I'm not a fan of them. I, I don't think they work. I've seen big, thick labs that I grew up with literally look at me, look at their owner, break it. And then that's they come what I, back I was just going to say. Same. I was just going to say we had um, another lab before actually one of my ex-boyfriends, yellow lab, and he was a big, thick, chonky English boy and the dog, not the boyfriend. And, um, (laughs) he, he would just go through the invisible fence and like almost enjoy it. Like it, (laughs) but that's, you know, labs. And so that doesn't work. Didn't work for him. You know, we had to kind of find a different approach to get the dog not to run away and leave the yard. Yeah. It's insane. Cause there's, it, they're everywhere. Cause people don't, people like, well, fences are expensive. I said, yeah, but what happens if you don't charge your electric fence color? What happens if it dies? What happens is if the connection breaks, there goes your dog. Or if someone comes and takes the collar off. Well, exactly. Uh, it doesn't away. stop yeah. animals or yeah. humans from coming in. I tell people you need to build a fence. And if you can't afford a fence, then you need to go on a long line, not a flexi lead, a long line. Yeah. Safety. Like people, people just want easy and like, yeah, those It's great for some dogs, but majority of dogs, it's not helping them. Right. Well, there's so many tools. I feel like, um, do you have a blog post or is there somewhere people can go to kind of even see like the options? Like what would you recommend to people? I probably would recommend using a long line more than anything else, but I've also seen people use probably six foot. I don't think it's called like not chicken wire, but like, it's like a green fencing. I really don't know what it's like called. construction my fencing kind of like, yeah, mm-hmm. but it's like a thicker wire. My parents use that for their chow Roddy and he stays in the yard. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a pretty big guy. Um, and he's known to jump. So like that kind of stuff, like there's solutions that are cheaper than an electric fence or an actual fence that I get. Like if it's in the backyard, I don't care what's in there, but you shouldn't be letting your dog just run free with a collar on hoping to God the fence is working. Cause I've actually seen it where the fence isn't working and they let their dog out and I'm there and the dog just takes off. Yeah. And I'm like, well now what? <laughs> or maybe go outside and, um, and play with them <laughs> rather yeah, than yeah. putting them outside by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I try to tell people that's where the leash comes into effect. Cause like I live in an apartment complex. I don't have a yard. So my dog's on a leash and I drop the leash. Sometimes my dog's also fully trained. Mm-hmm. I would never drop my leash if I had a dog walk by and she'd go after the dog and people right. do that. So like, but I'm playing with it, but you don't, you need to know your surroundings. So it all comes down to just like so many variables. I think that you have to know your surroundings. You have to know your dog. Um, you have to know the different tools that are available. There's so many different tools. Um, and there's so many different rewards too. you know, treats or toys, or even just you can be the reward sometimes. Um, so I think it just, I I think it just all comes down to just being open-minded and, um, and when you see these TikTok people bashing each other, unfollow them. Yeah. And I also want to kind of get to talking with, I know a lot of trainers that have been trying to just talk to other trainers and have conversations like this. Like we need to be open. Like, yeah, you might use, like, I have a friend that handles it in a more, not aggressive way, but in a more stirred, sturdy hand way. And he's great at that. So if I have a dog, I think I can't handle, I call him, but I know right. he's professional and knows what he's doing. 
And then the owners are like, oh my God, it worked. I said, yeah, because I'm not comfortable with that technique. And that's okay. It doesn't mean it's wrong. I'm just not the person to solve the problem you're having. It's not your specialty. Yeah. Well, I I wonder if we can. So if anyone's listening to this, if we can kind of give a, like a assignment to everyone of like, if there's some kind of training method that you think could be effective for a certain dog and you're not an expert in it, find someone in your area who is and just reach out and send them a DM or an email and just say hi. Yeah. Cause it, it definitely doesn't hurt. Like I tell people I'm not purely positive. I don't use aversive tools like an e-collar. However, if my client came to me tomorrow and said, I want, I want to use an e-collar, I'd learn how to use an e-collar mm-hmm. properly and correctly and safely. I tell people, please don't just Google how to use an e-collar and buy a cheap e-collar and put it on your dog. Contact a professional that specializes in e-collars. Right. I think that, um, and I'm not an expert, but I do think that the e-collars require training uh, and you can't just buy it off Amazon and put it on. Correct. And that's why a lot of trainers either do board and trains with the e-collar with you coming in and out. So if people are looking for trainers to do board and trains, which is a whole other topic, I kind of believe more in you should be training your own dog. Um, while I do while you work sessions and I go to people's houses and train their dogs, I also send videos and how to's on what I'm doing and the dogs remaining at home. I don't really like that. People just send their dogs away and expect their dog to be perfect when they come back with no follow-up. Yeah. I think that's an old, older mentality. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You got to put in the work if you want your dog to listen to you. Yeah. Well, Chelsea, this has been, um, such a great conversation and kind of, I enjoyed it because it's different than your typical wear, wag, repeat episode. Um, cause we talked more about dogs than, than business. Um, but you do, you do have an awesome business of your own. So where can everyone go to kind of learn more about canine curiosity and see, uh, what you're doing and connect with you? Yeah. So currently I have a website, so it's caninecuriosity.com. And on there, I have weekly blog posts about pretty much everything dog behavior, um, I'm more active on Instagram right now, which is still canine curiosity. And then I have, um, a Facebook page as well. And I'm slowly building TikTok and YouTube. They're slowly. <laughs> I see you on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's hard to do all the things. Um, but everyone go check out, go check out Chelsea, um, at caninecuriosity.com. And thank you so much for coming on and just having an honest conversation. I, I think that, um, I'm excited to get the feedback <laughs> from our conversation, um, because I think it's, it's important to just have a, have a real conversation where, where, you know, it doesn't always have to be an argument or you don't always have to say I'm right and you're wrong. You can sometimes just discuss. Exactly. And that's what I try to do with it. Like when I first got into training, it was, you have to teach only purely positive. And I was like, okay, I get that. But then I ran into dogs where I'm like, okay, well, they won't take treats and come near me or they won't do this and that. So I started looking at other trainers and I'm like, well, they're getting the same result, but there's no treats, but they're not really hurting the dog. And people misunderstand that because a video is a video or a photo is a photo. There's no context or people clip the video. You have to see the entire video to understand the context. As a trainer, we don't just look at one behavior and say, well, they're barking at this one thing and that's it. It's what's around them. What's happening? Are they stressed? Are they anxious? Well, right. And there's more even beyond the video. Like what is happening to the dog 24 hours a day, you know? Right. Um, Oh my gosh, we could go on and on. Um, (laughs) But thank you so much for coming on here today. Thanks for this conversation and sharing your expertise. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. What did you like most about this episode? 
Find me on Instagram at teamistic and let me know what intrigued you or what questions you have about starting or growing your own dog-inspired business. You can also screenshot this episode and tag me in your stories. I love to see who is listening out there. Some of the best conversations happen after the episode, right? So track me down over on Instagram or join the Wear Wag Repeat Labs Facebook group to connect with other dog-obsessed entrepreneurs. And as always, you can find all the links and resources discussed in this episode at wearwagrepeat.com slash podcast. See you back here next week.